Today's scripture will be from John chapter 18, verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Um, super glad to be here with y'all today. I, for those who don't know, I am not Tyler. Um, I, I know we look a lot alike. We have the same beard, the same long, bushy hair. Um, but Tyler is at home with his wife and his newborn baby, and we need to continue to keep them in our prayers during this wonderful and new time for them. But on the other hand, y'all are stuck with me, so I apologize. But we're going to spend some time with God and look at His Word this morning. So today is December 31st. That is the last day of 2023. I don't know about you, but that's absolutely wild to me. I, it blows my mind that it is the last day of the year. It feels like yesterday was January 1st, but actually January 1st is tomorrow of 2024, and that is wild. Um, it blows my mind. Um, but one thing that I love to do this time of year, as the year comes to a close, is I love to look at pictures and be reminded of what I did this year. I love to look at pictures that bring back good memories and pictures that make me laugh, and I just love doing it. In the past few weeks, I've been reminded of a few things that happened in my life this past year. For example, I, I've been reminded of back in March, I proposed to my wonderful fiance, and we've been engaged ever since, and we'll get married this upcoming summer. I've been reminded of that engagement. I've been reminded of the wonderful summer that we had here at Seven Oaks, and I loved all the activities we did with the youth, the different events, the church camps, the, the week of camp that I went to, and VBS, which I love VBS, and I appreciate everybody that put an effort for that. But I'm reminded of those things. I'm reminded of, in August, I went with some of my closest friends. And we went to a musical festival. And it was awesome. And we were up late listening to music. And I slept in this really uncomfy chair. But that's, everything else about it was great. A wonderful time with some great friends. And maybe you've done something similar, that you look back at pictures. You look back at memories. And are reminded of what happened this year as we prepare for a new year. And reminders are good. I, I love to be reminded of things. My, one of my favorite inventions that has ever been invented is these things right here. Sticky notes. I, I don't know what I would do without sticky notes. I see some heads nodding. If you don't believe me, you can go look at my office afterwards. And I have about 30 sticky notes on my desk that all say something that I should not forget. Now, if I forget it, that's on me. Because I'm the one that's to take the sticky note and I'm to look at it and say, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to be reminded of doing. Um, we have other things that remind us. One of my other favorites is on the phone, Google Calendar. If you've never used that, that is the best app I've ever found to remind me to do things. Because it pops up on my phone and says, Jacob, you have this to do at 9 p.m. today. And I'm like, oh, I forgot. But my phone remembered, which is great. But reminders are good. We need reminders to keep us in sync. A lot of times. Some of us do. And I think of Scripture. There's a lot of things that are repeated time and time again throughout Scripture. And these things, it's God giving us reminders. 
of things we should remember. And there's a lot of topics that we're reminded of throughout Scripture, but one that I think is really crucial to us as Christians is this idea of love. Time and time again throughout the Bible, we are reminded to love. To love God. To love each other. To love everybody. It's mentioned in the Old Testament. It's mentioned in the New Testament. Time and time again, we are reminded to love. And that's what I want to look at today as 2023 comes to our close. I want to have us one final reminder to love as we start this new year, if God blesses us with that year. Um, The passage that we will look at today that we will spend most of our time in is Luke chapter 10, um, starting in verse 25. And this is what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, I, I love this parable. It is a great reminder to love. And I picked the passage that I thought some of us would be familiar with because this lesson is about reminding us, reminding us of what love is, who we should love, how we should love, and why we should love. And so we'll be in Luke chapter 10. And I love this parable because we have given it the name, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I think it is really fascinating that in most translations of the Bible, this parable does not use the word good. You can look at it now. The word good, in most translations, it is not found. Um, There's other words that would be called good, and the actions of this man is good. But that is the label that we gave this character in the story. We called him good because of what he did. And love is good. Love is of God. We read about that in 1 John chapter 4. But I want to take some time and look at who is involved in this story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. A little background on this. It starts in verse 25. And a lawyer, he stands up to pit Jesus to the test. Now, when we think of a lawyer, I oftentimes think of a courtroom. That is not the setting that this is in. A lawyer was somebody that studied the Old Testament law. So this man that's testing Jesus, he knows his Bible. He knows his law of Moses. He knows his Old Testament. And he's going to Jesus, and he's going to see what Jesus knows. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? They come up to you, and they they test you. They test your knowledge, and they say, I want to know what this guy knows. And so he does that to Jesus. He goes up to him, and he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this is an answer that he knows, but he wants to see if Jesus knows it. He's going to see if Jesus knows the old law like he knows it. In verse 26, Jesus says, Jesus is like the smartest person to ever live. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He basically says, what does the Bible say? Tell me what the Word of God says. Tell me what comes from God's Scriptures and repeat it back to me. And so the man does and he says these two things that we may know as the two greatest commands. And the first one is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. These two great commands. Love God with everything you've got. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. This is originally found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And when this is found, it's not just... Moses telling the people, hey, love God with everything you got. He goes a little bit deeper than that. He tells them, when you wake up in the morning, remember to love God with everything you got. When you go to bed, remember to love God with everything you got. When you're walking about, when you're sitting at home, 
remember this. When you have children, teach your children this. This was to be so much of a reminder that they had a Jewish tradition that's mentioned here in Deuteronomy 6 where they would write this phrase, love God with everything you got. They would write it in Hebrew and they would stick it in their doorpost. And every time they left their house, they would be reminded, or they should have been reminded, to love God with everything they have. Love was important. And I think um, as Christians, we would all agree that to be a Christian, you have to love God. Would Would we all agree with that? You should love God with everything you got. It's something simple. But sometimes putting it in practice can be difficult. Sometimes living this out could be difficult because you cannot love God without doing the second command, loving your neighbor as yourself. They go hand to hand. It just can't be done. And so this man, he answers Jesus, and he says these two greatest commands. He says these are the two things that you ought to do. And then the man's trying to justify himself. So he says to Jesus, he says, so who is my neighbor? Because a lot of times the Jewish people back then, their neighbor was the people that looked like them, the people that were also Jews, the people that were God's people with them, the people that did the same things that they did. So he's trying to justify his actions. So he asks Jesus, he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, he gets into this story that we will spend our time at today. I want us to reflect on this question, who is my neighbor, as we look at the characters of this story in Luke chapter 10. It starts off in verse 30, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. We start off with a man that was beaten, a man that was minding his own business, and he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, that road from Jerusalem to Jericho, this was a road known for some bad things. It was about 3,300 feet being descended, so it's very steep. It was about 17 miles, so it's this long road that's really steep. It was notoriously known for robbers and thieves. Like, this was the place that when you thought of this street, when you thought of this road, you thought of nothing good. You thought of something bad. Maybe somewhere pops in your mind. Maybe it's somewhere that it's a part of town that we don't go there because we might get jumped. Um, Or I think of, I lived about an hour and a half from Memphis growing up, and we would go to Memphis for a lot of things. We would go to the Memphis Zoo, which is the best zoo on this planet, Um, and we would go to all this different stuff in Memphis. And one place that I often heard growing up is you don't go to this certain part of Memphis. Orange Mound was the name of it. Maybe you've heard of it. I actually have a story of one time I went there, but if you want, I can tell you that afterwards. Um, But I survived. Um, So that's the gist of the story. But maybe we have somewhere in our mind that we are thinking of, somewhere that's dangerous, and that's what this road was. So this man comes, and we are introduced to our first characters of the story, the robbers, the people that they saw this man. And they said, I want what he has. This man has something. I'm going to take it. Um, This is a road that you did not want to walk. So a lot of times, you would ride an animal. Whether it was a donkey or a camel, it was a lot easier to ride an animal than it was to walk it. And they didn't have cars back then. 
And so this was the best option. So this man probably had an animal he was riding. His animal was taken. All the money that he had on him at the time was taken. His clothes was taken. His health was taken because they beat him. They took his dignity. Like they left this man bloody to die. They had this mindset that what is yours is mine. They saw something that a man had and they said, I want that. And a lot of times this stems from a lot of different things. Maybe this stems from greed. When I think of greed, I think of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, the first part of this verse, where it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Maybe these people were greedy. Maybe they said, hey, we want money, so we're going to take what other people have. Maybe it was covetousness or jealousy. Maybe they saw something that they didn't own, and they wanted that. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it was arrogance. Maybe they thought highly of themselves and low of other people. And that led to them robbing this man. But whatever it was, it stemmed from sin. Have you ever met anybody with this mindset where they have the what is yours is mine mentality? They say, if you have it, I want it. And we think of this mindset and we think, that's bad. We shouldn't do that. But sometimes it can be easy to fall into this. I think of David who was a man after God's own heart. But David... He saw a woman, he saw Bathsheba, and he said, that's not my wife, that's Uriah's wife, but I want her. He was overtaken by lust. He had something that wasn't his, and he wanted it for himself. He had this what is yours is mine mentality. Oftentimes we find people with this mentality. We will at some point in our lives run into somebody where they have this mindset that what is yours is mine. As you can tell, this is not very neighborly, is it not? It's not something that we should treat people. But let's go on. Let's move on to the next character. Maybe we will find a neighbor in the next two people, the priest and the Levite. Have you ever, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but have you ever been in a hurry to get somewhere? And like you're going to be late. And you're like, I have just enough time to be there. And then something happens. Um, I think if, if you're a parent or you have kids or have had kids, maybe the kids are the reason you're late. I, I don't have kids, but I've been the kid that is the reason why my parents were late before. Um, I, something would happen. My shoe would break. I, I would be playing video games. Some reason would be the reason we were late, whatever it may be. Have you ever had that happen where something comes up and you're in a hurry? You have somewhere to be and you're not going to be there on time. Like this man here in this picture, he's moving so fast. Everything around him is a blur. Maybe that's what happens to the priest and the Levite here. The priest, he was going down that road, and he saw this man laying on the side of the road. And he sees him on the road, and he says, he walks away. Then we have the Levite. He sees the man on the road, and he says, he walks the other way. Now, back then, a priest, they were from the tribe of Levi, and they were the people that mediated between man and God. They offered sacrifices to God. They were the middleman. They were in the temple. They were the ones that were between man and God. The Levites, where they are from the tribe of Levi as well, but they were not priests. They were kind of like assistants to priests. They would help them with some stuff. And the priests and Levites, 
they were something that people thought of when they thought of godly people because they are the people between God and the Jewish people. The priest, they had a lot of restrictions. They had certain things they had to wear. They had certain things they had to do. They had certain places they had to be. One of those restrictions that priests had was they could not come within six feet of a dead body. So maybe this priest was in a hurry. Maybe he had somewhere to be. Maybe he was on the way to the temple. Maybe he was on the way to offer a sacrifice. Maybe the priest thought, hey, that might be a dead body. That might be somebody dead. I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm going to stay away from the possibly dead body and mind my own business. The Levite couldn't be around dead bodies either. Maybe he thought the same thing. Maybe he thought, hey, I don't want anything to do with that dead, possibly dead person. I'm going to do my own thing. They had this mindset of what is mine is mine. And this is a mindset that I think is very easy to get into because it's easy to say, I'm going to live my life the way that I want to live my life. I'm going to try to get myself and my family to heaven, and you try to get your family and yourself to heaven. A lot of times we find ourselves in this mindset, do we not? Where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life the way that I'm going to live my life. And you do you the way you want to do you. And a lot of times this stems from self-righteousness. Maybe it stems from I'm good enough to handle my own, so you should be good enough to handle your own. And folks, that's not what God calls us to do. God doesn't say, hey, Jacob, you're just trying to get yourself to heaven. You're just trying to get your family to heaven. He doesn't say that for you. It's a joint effort. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt hopeless? A time in your life that you could not function without your friends or your family, especially your church family. Have you ever been there? Sometimes we find ourselves in that place. And we don't want our friends thinking, what is mine is mine. Oh no, Jacob's in a bind. Peace. Like that's not how it should be. We should instead be there for each other. Help one another. Not have that what is mine is mine mentality. That's not very neighborly, is it not? It's not out of love. It's just caring for ourselves. And being a Christian is not about just caring for ourselves. So then we have our third character of the story, the third person to look at here, who is the Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were people that were half Jew, half Gentile. The Jews did not like Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do with who the Samaritans were. They were racist towards them. They saw Samaritans and they said, I don't want nothing to do for you. you like dirt. They were rude towards them. They would go out of their way to avoid these Samaritans. They were people that were isolated by the Jews. And maybe you think of somebody today who they get looked down upon. Maybe it's because the color of their skin, and that should not be the case. But racism is still a thing today. Um, maybe it's somebody that doesn't have enough money as some people. Maybe they are poor, and maybe they get looked down upon because of that. Maybe they get looked down upon because of how they look. Maybe they have a big nose. You could fill in the blank with anything. But people, they get isolated. They get dismissed. 
because of how they look, things they can't help. And that's how the Samaritan was. The lawyer, the guy that's hearing this story for the first time, when he would have heard the word Samaritan, it would have left a bad taste in his mouth. He would have made a sour face. He would have thought that, oh, the Samaritan, that's going to be the guy that sees the dude almost dead on the side of the road. The Samaritan's going to come up to him and curb stomp him. The Samaritan's going to come up to him and finish the job. That's what the lawyer might have been thinking. But that's not what we see the Samaritan do. The Samaritan had this mindset of what is mine is yours. And we see that when we continue reading. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, I I love the name the Compassionate Samaritan because what we're about to see this Samaritan do is all about love. It's all about compassion. He goes to him and he bounds his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Um, What this was is he bandaged them. He saw that he was open. He had cuts. And he cleans them with the oil and wine. Wraps them with the bandages. And then he leaves them there and goes on his business. No, that's not what he does. He helps them out. He gives them the bandages. Cleans them. And then he sets them on his own animal. I, I think this, in my mind, this is the coolest thing that the Samaritan does. As I mentioned, this is a road that you did not want to walk by feet. You wanted to ride an animal down this road. But what this Samaritan says, he only has one animal. So he says, hey, I'm going to stick this lifeless body on top of my animal. I'm going to put him on top of my donkey or my camel or whatever it is. And I'm going to walk beside him. Because odds were there was not enough room for both him and the unconscious man on his animal. He gave up comfort for this man. He was willing to walk when it could have been easy to ride his animal to where he needed to go. He gave up his comfort. Not only that, he gave up his time. Um, Time is very precious, is it not? We talked about being in a hurry. Um, I, I wish we had more than 24 hours in the day sometimes because sometimes I feel like I don't have enough time to get done what I need to get done. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you felt that way at work. Maybe you felt that way at home. But you wish you might have had more time to do what you need to do. But this Samaritan, he gives up his time. Not only that, is he takes them to an inn. And he gives them two denarii, which was two days wages. Two days that he worked. He gives them money. And he says, hey, I want to pay for a room for this guy. But not only that, if you spend any more money in this guy, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pay you back what you spend on this guy. I'm going to give you the money that you deserve. This man, he loved this stranger so much that he gave up his comfort. He gave up his time and he gave up his money for somebody he didn't even know. Like the man he saw beaten on the road, that wasn't his father, that wasn't his mother, that wasn't his brother. This was a man that he had never met before. And this Samaritan sacrificed something that is hard to sacrifice, a comfort. I, I do not like to be uncomfortable. Um, I don't like to be places where I'm uncomfortable. But this man was willing to sacrifice that for somebody who was in need. So Jesus finishes this story 
And he looks at the lawyer and he says, which one of these was a neighbor to the man who was beaten? Which one of these people was the man that showed this man compassion? And the lawyer, he didn't have it in him to say to the Samaritan. If you look at what he said, he says, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say Samaritan. He said the one that showed mercy. That was who was a neighbor. So as we look at this story, we have the robbers, the people who had this mindset that what is yours is mine. I'm going to take what you have and make it my own. We have the priests and the Levite, which were religious people. These were people that when people saw them, they knew the priest was religious. They knew that they knew God. But they were so caught up in what is theirs. They had this what is mine is mine mentality. They were trying to do their thing. They had places to be, places to go. And they did not love this man. But then we have the Samaritan, the man that is a minority. The man that is dismissed for how he looks, for his race. But he has this mindset, what is mine is yours. Whatever I have, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to help you out with what I have and better your life. And so we're left with this question, who is my neighbor? A lot of times we see this story and we say, our neighbor is the guy in need. Our neighbor is the man beaten on the side of the road. And I would say, yes, our neighbor is the man on the side of the road that's in need. Our man is somebody who needs help that we can provide. But our neighbor is also these three people on the screen. Our neighbor is the people that only care about themselves, like the robbers. The people who have this, what is yours is mine mentality. Those are our neighbors. The people who leave a bad taste in our mouth for only caring about themselves. We should also love them. The people who are self-righteous, like the priest and the Levite. The people who only care about themselves and getting themselves to heaven. The people that only care about benefiting themselves. Those people, they are also our neighbors. The Samaritan, the minority, the person who is compassionate, that's also our neighbor. Our neighbor is also all of the above. Our neighbor is everybody. Now, we hear this a lot. We hear our neighbor is everybody. Our neighbor is everybody we come in contact with. But let's get specific for a minute. Our neighbor is that annoying coworker that you can't stand. Our neighbor is that annoying anybody, not just coworker. Um, our neighbor is the person who votes different from you, the person that you do not see eye to eye politically. That's your neighbor. Um, the person who lives in that sketchy side of town that when you see them at Walmart, you say, kids, go that way. That person, they're also your neighbor. The atheist, the person that would laugh at what we are doing right now, spending time with God, somebody that does not believe in who God is, that person, they are your neighbor. Our neighbor is that homosexual that you know, that gay person, that person that is living in sin, that person that maybe their actions make you uncomfortable to even think about. That person, that is your neighbor. The person next to you, look at the person next to you, that person, your neighbor. person behind you, in front of you, that person is your neighbor. 
No matter who it is. Maybe it's somebody that you haven't talked to in six years. Maybe it's somebody that you think you're smarter than and you will not listen to a word that they say. They are your neighbor. No matter who it is, they are our neighbor. No matter how we view them or not, we should show them love. And so I leave us with this reminder. The greatest gift of love that you have and you will ever receive is Jesus dying on the cross. Do you know that? Jesus, He died for our sins so that even though we were covered in filth, we were covered in sin, Jesus was willing to die for me. He was willing to die for you. Before Jesus died, He was speaking to His disciples. We read about this in John chapter 13 through 17, and Luke read one of these verses for us earlier, and I thank you for that, Luke. But Jesus, before He dies on the cross, He's speaking to His disciples, and He's telling them what they need to know before He dies. He's given them a last-minute knowledge. He has given them a reminder. In John chapter 17, that's what we often label as the high priestly prayer. Jesus, He prays a prayer for His disciples that are there. But not only that, in verse 20, He says that He's praying for those who are to be believers in Him. Guys, that us. that's us. We're the people that Jesus is praying about at the end of John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. The final thing that Jesus says here is what I have on the screen that I'm about to read. This is the final reminder that Jesus says that we have knowledge of before He is betrayed. The last thing that He tells His disciples. The final reminder that He's left with. Have you ever been annoyed with reminders? Have you ever been reminded about something and you think, why am I being reminded of this? I'm not going to forget this. I think of a story of a married couple, and they were invited to a Christmas party. And the woman, she spent hours making a chocolate pie, and in her opinion, this was the best chocolate pie she has ever made. She got everything just right. Absolutely beautiful pie. She kind of tasted some of the filling, and man, it was the best tasting filling she'd ever had. And before the party, she had some errands to run. She had to go to the store and get some stuff, get some last-minute Christmas presents. And she looks at her husband and she says, don't forget the pie. That's your one job, is to bring this pie to the party. And some of y'all are kind of laughing. You might know where this story is going to go. And the man, he says, I'm not going to forget. So the woman goes to the store, and before she leaves, she leaves some sticky notes for him. And every time the man finds a sticky note that says, don't forget the pie, he gets annoyed. He says, come on, I'm not a child. I'm not going to forget this. Like, I'm a grown adult. I am not going to forget a pie. Um, then he gets a text message. Don't forget the pie. And he says, why is she sending me this text? I'm not going to forget this. Then he gets a few more text messages and a call and a voicemail that says, don't forget this pie. And he thinks, I am not going to forget this pie. Like, he's getting constantly annoyed with these reminders. Well, then he gets a call from his best friend, and they talk football. They talk basketball, even get so long of a conversation that they talk about NASCAR. Like, it just goes on and on. And then he looks at the time, and he says, oh, man, I got a party to go to. He gets in the car, drives to the party, and forgets the pie. 
in the heat of the moment, he forgot. He said time and time again, I'm not going to forget this. But in the heat of the moment, he forgot. Now, Jesus' disciples here in John chapter 17, Jesus is telling them everything they need to know. And in the heat of the moment, when Jesus is taken to be crucified, when Jesus is getting beaten, they forget everything they know. Everything that Jesus just told them, and they run. It's human nature to do that. When we get caught up in something, maybe we get caught up in something that we like. Maybe we get caught up in something scary. Maybe we get caught in something that we ain't sure what's going on. Sometimes we forget how we ought to act. And I think that's why Scripture time and time again tells us about love. Because sometimes we forget how to love. And that's why we are constantly reminded throughout Scripture to love. Let's read this in John chapter 17. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love in which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. What Jesus is saying is God loved Jesus enough to send him. God loves us enough to send Jesus. And he's saying, I want my followers to love everybody the way that God has loved us. As we talked about at the beginning, 2023 is over. In just a few more hours at midnight, it'll be 2024. And if God blesses us with that year, I hope it's a great year for you and your family. And that it's the best year that you've ever had. But maybe it will be. Maybe it won't. We don't know. But what I want to leave us with today is this final reminder to love with the love of God. Even in the heat of the moment. Even when things go sour. Even when we're in the best we've ever been. Love everybody with the love of God. As Seth's about to come up here and sing our invitation song, if you struggle with this, maybe you've struggled to love everybody. Maybe you've struggled to receive love from God. Maybe you've struggled to receive love from other people. Whatever it may be, if you need anything, come as we stand and we sing.